Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today's guest host is photographer Megan Bent. Megan Bent is a lens-based artist interested in the malleability of photography and the ways image making can happen beyond using a traditional camera. This interest started to occur after the diagnosis of a progressive chronic illness. She is drawn to image making processes that reflect and embrace her disabled experience, especially interdependence, impermanence, care, and slowness. Megan's artwork has been exhibited domestically at many locations and internationally as well. She has been an artist in residence at Art Beyond Sites 2021-2022 Art and Disability Residency at the Noble School in Dedham, Massachusetts and the Honolulu Museum of Art in Hawaii. She has presented her work at the Common Field 2021 Convening, Atlas Obscura, The Secret Arts, the Pacific Rim International Conference on Disability and Diversity in Honolulu, Hawaii, at Other Bodies, Self-Representation, Disability, and the Media at the University of Westminster in London, UK, and at Critical Junctures at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Her work has been featured in Lens Scratch, Analog Forever Magazine, Fraction Magazine, Too Tired Product, Art Photo Folio, and Float Photography Magazine. Welcome. My name is Megan Bent, and I am the guest host of Able Voices Podcast. This week, I'm so excited to talk with artists and educator Jeff Casper and to share a little bit about Jeff. Jeff Casper is an interdisciplinary artist, writer, and educator. He works with the tools and techniques of design, contemplative practice, and community engagement to create public art, publications, workshops, and participatory learning projects. His artworks center dialogical, reflective, and instructional texts, as well as pedagogical objects that prompt meditation relationship building, and serious play. Based on his own lived experiences and observations, many of his projects explore topics of social support, safety, and proximity. His research focuses on how people practice care and collaboration, especially in times of conflict and crisis. Through his disability arts organizing, he opens up spaces for reimagining accessible and trauma-sensitive futures. Casper recently exhibited Soft Spots, two public art commissions in New York City parks with ArtBridge and Meta Open Arts. Past solo projects have included Give and Take Care at Downtown Art in 2019 and Boundary Objects at the University of Massachusetts Herder Art Gallery in 2020. He organized the series Access Points, Approaches to Disability Arts at Q Art Foundation 2017 through 2018, and ever since participated in public programs exploring access, disability, justice, and the arts at the Brooklyn Museum, Brick, Mocha Cleveland, Queens Museum, Daedalus Foundation, and the Eighth Floor. Casper was awarded residencies and grants from New England Foundation from the Arts, 
the Umbrella Arts Center, Art Beyond Sight, and Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts. Casper sustains an active career centering public programming, creative direction, and facilitation for arts-based community engagement. This involves graphic design, strategic planning, and development of programs for outreach, arts infrastructure, mental health, and disability culture, accessibility, peer mentorship, curriculum design, and artist services. Casper is Assistant Professor of Design at University of Massachusetts Amherst, where he serves as the Undergraduate Program Director in the Department of Art and is a Public Interest Technology Fellow and Associate at the Institute of Diversity Sciences Healthcare Research Group. From 2020 to 2021, he was a Faculty Fellow with the Office of Civic Engagement and Service Learning at UMass. In 2022, he was a Khan Institute Faculty Fellow in Health and Medicine, Culture and Society at Smith College. In these capacities, he has been stewarding collaborations between pediatricians, psychologists, parents, and students for the design of inclusive media that demystifies the dynamics of early childhood emotional health for families in Western Massachusetts. So Jeff, I am a huge fan of your work and your ideas, and I'm just so excited to talk with you today. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> thank you for the warm welcome. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to just, you know, hear what you have to share for, for our audience. So the first question I have today is, I'd just like to start by asking you to tell us your story as an artist. How did you start out and how did you get to where you are today? Wow. So thanks for this question. I am excited to answer it and I don't know where I'll end up because there's so many amazing sort of starting points in one's life around how one becomes an artist. I think one's always becoming an artist in some in some way, but I'll 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 give it a try um, uh, of where to start. So I've been lucky enough to have uh, mentorship and arts teacher of different different disciplines my whole life. Um, and, you know, of course, formally, uh, I had arts classes in growing up. And I like to mention, you know, growing up, I primarily my schooling was uh, within a faith-based community. I grew up Catholic, so I was really kind of immersed in that kind of art culture. Um, but luckily, <laughs> well, uh, luckily, I had like teachers who so even thought beyond uh, sort of the canons of art history and 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 how uh, religion and art have been so closely related. And I had you know I remember the first artists that I learned about were um, like you know Keith Haring like mm. and, and talk and, and and like seeing that work you know things that were in the subway stations and kind of public art. That was one of the first visual artists I, I remember learning about. I had teachers who kind of like kind, kind of talked about him kind of secretly, yeah, because it wasn't necessarily something that maybe was aligned with sort of the faith based mission um, mm -hmm. education. But I remember learning about him and his work as a contemporary artist, and other artists that really impacted me um, really came from more of like family life. So I come from a a mixed uh, family and on my father's side 
uh, we are uh, Jamaican. So I remember listening to lots of uh, Caribbean music like Harry Belafonte and and uh, Bob Marley. I know that sounds silly, like to talk about, like, but that was maybe silly because you know it's like, wow, you listened to that as a kid, but I really did. Um, and you know, it's I I'm very grateful to have these artists that were like really artist activists as like my first art inspiration outside of kind of the formal history of art I was taught. So uh, I you know throughout my education, as I mentioned, I had. Uh, mentors uh, and I took actually art courses you know outside of school like with teachers and I I totally am so privileged to have had that opportunity and a fa- and family members who kind of saw that I always was a creative person and yeah my family has been supportive around opening up the possibilities of what I could do uh, as a person and, and, and art being a viable option. I don't think they really understand <laughs> what art is, or I don't have other artists in my family. Like my parents were not artists, but uh, you know they they were along for the ride at least. <laughs> so you know, so having mentors and and taking art and encountering art in my own life was something that you know uh, I'm so grateful for. Uh, yeah, so I began to be an artist, like, I guess the day I was born, I never really, I, it's always kind of like the, I always say it was the only way, it was not like ever, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a process of becoming, I don't think I ever had a moment where I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to pursue this thing, but it was always just the way in which I found myself relating to the world. Um, so I talked a, a little bit about, yeah, like that some of these origins had to do with you know, the art that I was seeing, you know, at home and what teachers were sharing. But also I knew that I wanted to do something creative because, you know, two other really kind of pivotal experiences. One, you know, being, having experienced kind of traumatic experiences as a young person. I've been, you know, since I was young through different kind of therapeutic processes, right? So actually in kind of uh, grief therapy as a young person was actually the first time I can remember like an aesthetic experience, like how art could be used to mm. be healing and and how artists could be healers. And so that that's really important to me. Um, and I, I'll also say, in addition to that, and I've talked about this in, in different capacities, but, you know, I was always kind of like the the neighbor or the cousin who was always building these really elaborate kind of role play scenarios um, growing up. <laughs> And you're probably asking, you're probably like, what does that have to do with art? But for me, like play and the space of play and being in community with people and making our own worlds, world building was and is like central to my work. So that really began as early as I can remember. So I'm so happy I have language now that can explain Mm -hmm. that. But growing up, it totally felt like not the same thing as art, but it definitely is. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, Jeff. It's just so powerful to hear your story of continually becoming and how art has always and creativity has always been something that's just been like deep inside of you. And and then having these different experiences and influences that just kind of like help shape your path and, and having all the support for that. Like, I just, I love it. And thank you for sharing that with us today. My next question is that I'd like for you to tell us about your experiences as a person with a disability and as an artist with a disability. 
it's 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 tricky to answer this question because there's you know like the previous question there's so many like ways that that you know there were so many ways I can answer it right I almost I don't think linearly so I'm mm-hmm. I'm immersed in a network of potential answers right now but you know what I would say uh, I actually love to talk about I would love to answer this question actually by talking a little bit about disability aesthetics if you yeah um, I love so, that. So um, for folks who don't know, the scholar uh, Tobin Siebers coined the term disability aesthetics in in 2010, I believe, or perhaps a little earlier. And the term disability aesthetics um, not only imagines like new forms of representation for disabled people, but also asks how disability enriches our understanding of art. So in his words, Disability operates both as a critical framework for questioning aesthetic presuppositions and history of art, as well as, you know, the value uh, of art in its own right. And for me, disability aesthetics refers to the relationship between our lived experiences of disability and how someone shows up in how, you know, disability sometimes shows up in the form, material, and content Mm -hmm. of our work. And also the way that, you know, disability shows up in the way our work is circulated and, uh, and how, you know, you know, maybe we can think about like expanded modes of access to reach our communities or the way the context in which work is presented. All of this can be, you know, contribute to disability aesthetics. So, you know, lived experience and identity is the core to the way it's, it's a core to my art, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and to, I think many people's art. Mm-hmm. So considering like how uh, sick and disabled artists and their art is in relationship to their experiences, I believe that really that can bring a sort of greater understanding of the experience. So this plays out in my work in a lot of ways. Um, some might notice in my work a desire to kind of understand personal space or boundaries, mm-hmm. a really ongoing theme. There's almost always like an obsessive need to diagram space, narrate, anticipate, and practice social interactions. One might notice how the language in my work is used in a calming or nonviolent way, how participation is always prioritizing consent in both its structure and form. You know, this is a long way to answer this question, but one might and one should look at these elements as disability aesthetics. and. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, my work is, is just as much about disability aesthetics as it is about um, trauma aesthetics, neurodivergent aesthetics, the aesthetics of pain and living through illness. And they're also really uh, definitely queer as well. So I, I feel like, you know, my work tries, I try to, and disability aesthetics tries to like open up a way that people can experience me as a person and also experience maybe themselves and see you know, and see themselves in the work as well. So I can get poetic. So sorry if I, and really academic. So apologies if that was uh, (laughs) too verbose of an answer, but. (laughs) No, I think it's great. I'm so glad you weaved in disability aesthetics and talked about different points of it and, um, and then just shared how that aligns with your own art practice. And I feel like in the ways that I've experienced your work, I just feel like they're so deeply rooted in care. Like, I just feel like that's such a, a huge part of everything you do, which oh, totally. I really appreciate. I know that our listeners would like to hear about the art education that you received. Um, can you talk about how you studied art and 
how you continue to learn today. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of, and privileged enough to have a lot of art education my whole life, both in formal, mo- you know, sort of spaces and modes of education throughout, you know, from through a young age to, to throughout university level, but also through kind of informal mentoring from folks uh, in my life. So, uh, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I always am never really, um, how do I say, I'm never satisfied with one media or approach. <laughs> so I feel like my education is forever because I always want to learn a new, mm-hmm. a new approach. So, you know, I mentioned a bit about my early art education, but sort of coming to more contemporary time, you know, I went to, you know, went to school for lots of different areas of art. I started in graphic design, actually, and that's a primary kind of mode of expression for me still in my practice. So I had a bit of a non-traditional path. Um, I... When I was a teenager, I moved away from my family and was in New York City and decided to not enroll in any kind of like degree, bachelor's degree program at first, but really to take technical classes and just work in the field and do internships and stuff. So I started to learn design, uh, you know, in technical programs and then would go out and be like a production assistant and doing projects kind of live and yeah, I don't think anyone ever really knew like that I was a young person and like <laughs> not I don't know. I was sort of untracked, <laughs> but you know, I kind of jumped in hands-on and learned wow. like what what I was interested in. And I eventually uh received uh, a two-year degree in in graphic design um and before realizing, you know, I've been able to work on like a lot of cool projects and and maybe I could have this career as like a professional designer and not even really need to go to school. But there was and there was opportunities for that. But I, I just started to like think, you know, actually, there's so much like else to learn about like art and creativity. So I decided to go to the City University of New York to and City College specifically to learn, just learn about different aspects of art and, and society. So I ended up actually getting a bachelor's degree uh, studying urban studies. Actually, I left, I left the sort of art program and started to create my own path of study that merged social science and as well as uh, urban design and uh, studies of public space. So, you know, as I was uh, studying this, I really started to get really involved in arts organizing and learning how artists can work in public space and and how that that impacts the future of the city and and social relationships and so by the time that I've you know sort of started to become you know what we would consider like an emerging artist I had started you know I had this sort of background in art and design but also studying yeah studying social relationships and 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 society at large I ultimately merged those things and got a master's of fine arts in social practice, um, which, you know, involves, you know, creating engagements between people uh, using art and art as a tool for uh, social impact. So uh, eventually those things kind of coalesce. 
it's interesting when we think about our education as artists, we're often thinking about the media that we learn, like, oh, I learned about this new technology or look at this amazing way that I can use printmaking, right, to replicate an image. For me, those that's very much part of my continuing education as artists learning new media. But also, I like to immerse myself in spaces that have nothing to do with art in order to continue my work. So lately, I have been doing a lot of education, um, uh, continuing education in psychology and narrative medicine and lots of other kinds of medical, sort of sociology of medicine, maybe you could say. So I find myself in the room with people who are not artists all the time in learning spaces. And I think that's really important because artists, we're the, we're the translators and we're the, mm. and the, the folks who communicate and create and express uh, content and material in ways that we feel and embody. And, you know, I, I find that it's important to learn things outside of the arts and bring it in as well. My education is ongoing. I'm currently a doctoral student I'm ex- uh, studying uh, expressive arts, in particular, like therapeutic approaches to education. So wow. it's, it's an ongoing story. <laughs> it's an amazing ongoing story. One of the things I love about doing these interviews is just getting to learn new things about people. And it's, it's so cool to me and listening to your stories as an artist of how you, you've always just kind of like, listen to yourself and like what was important to you and kind of like forge your own path forward as an artist and and also the ways that you continue to um so word I'm looking for I guess just to to reach out into other other areas that are not art related and to for continual learning for to continual growth as an artist it's super important you know like there's just so many things out in the world. It's so exciting to learn. And, and you know what? It's not only exciting to learn, it's exciting to collaborate. Mm-hmm. That for me has been a major element, right? Is like, I yeah. I may not be a doctor, like a medical doctor, but yeah. I have so much to contribute uh, and I want to contribute. So finding other expertise and, and collaborating, I think is important and artists are so good at that. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And this question, um, it kind of jumps off of what you were just talking about. Just if you could share some of your current work today. Yeah. So I'm always working on a million different projects. So I don't know where to start. (laughs) But so I am currently, you know, doing a lot of kind of more pedagogical projects. I'm, I'm developing tools and frameworks for uh, training artists and designers to uh, work in a trauma-aware way. Um, so I'm hoping that I will be able to uh, release those and publish those in the coming year or years. Uh, and in relation to that, a lot of my work lately has been really mentoring younger artists around how to do collaborations between spaces of medicine and uh, and spaces of art and spaces of sort of community empowerment. So currently I'm working with students on and and doctors on uh, animated videos that are that are parent driven about how parents create emotional health for their families and creating kind of guides for other families in Massachusetts 
to to learn from not only parents' expertise and but the expertise of of community members and of experts like you know we have doctors and psychologists contributing to this as well so you know these are long term projects that that I have been so honored to be a part of I definitely see these are like years long developments mm-hmm. I like to work in long way long long scale mm-hmm. in addition to these I these kinds of longer form projects and learning you know engaged learning projects uh, or mentorship projects I also have my own individual studio practice I hold workshops uh kind of all the time and uh I feel like I'm always in a <laughs> so I like to have opportunities for people to practice being in relation to one another. So I create use texts and role play and kind of tactile design media to talk about concepts of uh, safety and how to build social support networks and how to communicate what makes you know some someone feel relaxed or happy or you know general kind of like experiences that bring people closer together so sometimes that looks like building card games Mm -hmm. and and sometimes that's uh building huge public art projects that (laughs) are like really large in scale but yeah at the center of my work is always is always text and dialogue and and learning yeah (laughs) so those are that's a little bit of a snapshot of what what's happening lately. (laughs) Excellent. And our final question is, what advice would you give to young artists with disabilities? Wow. So I guess I'll start by saying it's really important to remember that you are so valid and you are, you are so worth it Mm -hmm. and you, you are an artist and you should continue to make your work. And you should, you know, not listen to any of the critics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll start, you know, by saying that I feel that, you know, definitely reflecting on my own experience, there's, there's kind of been situations where, you know, you feel like you, you can't, you don't see yourself or you haven't Mm -hmm. experienced anyone like you um, in the field and, or represented and that can be really discouraging, even if you're not really thinking about it, you know, you, you, but you just kind of have this sort of embodied understanding that, oh, well, I can't be an artist because I'm, I'm not like what I see. So I want everyone to forget that. That's, that's totally not true. There's no right way to be an artist. And, and, and I, I want to encourage um, young artists uh, or artists with disabilities to to remember that you you are an artist and 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 to continue your work it's super important to you know to 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 reach out and to, to also to be of support to other disabled people and especially you know social media is a huge um, important space for us because we get to meet and connect with people mm-hmm. all over even when we're sometimes really isolated or don't have people in our own immediate, you know, kind of networks, physical networks who have similar experiences to us and who also create. So please, you know, you you meet someone online that you that you that you resonate with, like reach out to them. Um, and that's what I would say 
you know, in general is I don't think I would be doing this work without having met other disabled artists and having met artists who have had similar experiences as I have or not artists who have different experiences, but we, we have this sort of shared understanding of, you know, of how disability is a generative element in our work and also a generative element in our lives. Maybe our work doesn't actually interact or engage with topics related to our, our health or, or disability profile, but being in community with others has really helped me. And I really encourage you to, to, to also connect with others because, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot better out there when we're, when we're, you know, toppling the systems of oppression together. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jeff, and just sharing about yourself, your work, your path as an artist, your continual learning. I'm just so grateful to get to chat with you today. And uh, we'll be, we'll be sure to share links to your site and your work uh, in the podcast description so folks can check it out. Thank you so much. It's really been wonderful to hang out and, and, and chat. Thanks, (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. All right. This is Megan Bent signing off as guest host for Able Voices podcast. Thank you so much to Dr. Bernard. This has been an incredible experience. And thank you so much to my three guests, Moira Williams, Whitney Moshburn, and Jeff Casper. It's been incredible to talk with each of you and get to share more about your work. Able Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education. If you would like to learn more about our work, Find us online at berkeley.edu slash B-I-A-A-E or email us at B-I-A-A-E at berkeley, that's L-E-E dot E-D-U.